0: All right. Hello, and uh, welcome to Stable Discussion. Hey everyone. Hey Ben. How's it going? Hey, hey, how's it going? Oh, you're asking me first this time. All right. Yeah, I tried to be um, into it this time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, uh, things are going really well. Um, we had a, a pretty fun uh, event in Toronto here with OpenAI, which is really cool. So we got to got to learn about some of the the cool stuff there. Uh, meet a bunch of people that were interested in AI too. So that was that was pretty fun. Yeah, um, that's very exciting. So. so yeah that happened this week uh the sun's also out it's starting to get to be summery again um very Uh, very good
1: (laughs) that's all that's that's all i care about i turn into a different person every summer every summer Mm -hmm. i Mm -hmm. i feel like i frolic i embody frolicking and i put that into the world if i I literally frolic in fact i've been going dancing um (laughs) Right, <laughs> like by myself, I like last mm-hmm. few weekends, I've just gone out. I found a, like a random dive bar or something and look for a theme night I'm into. For example, tonight I'm going to go for the first time, not by myself, I'm going with a friend um, dancing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go into a 90s 2000s theme dance party in a, the back of a dive bar. Oh, fantastic. It's a great time.
0: <laughs> it's always a that's summer vibe awesome. for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, and it's uh it's definitely that season for everyone to get out and mingle, uh, and I think it's definitely um, been pretty awesome to see people in the real world talking about AI uh, a bit more. So oh I'll yeah, know. it's
1: and this is uh, I think very pertinent to the topic at hand. Um, mm-hmm. So today's podcast topic we want to talk about um, something we <laughs> we've been kind of avoiding um, getting too deep into, but I think we're mm-hmm. it's worth really nice talking about and sharing some of our thoughts. Uh, mm-hmm. Sort of the um, ethical ramifications of AI. Let's call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, it's it's a very very complicated topic, and there's a lot of strong feelings about this, and it's worth mm-hmm. it's worth talking about. I think that there's um, tons of interesting angles we can come up at it from. Um, I did mm-hmm. get another outline, and I shared it with Ben that we're going to go over today. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So again, we'll follow it perfectly. Um, but I, I do like that we could probably have some some guidance here. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Take- so that's that's. That's a that's gonna be fun. What do you feel about mm-hmm. ethics and AI, Ben?
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's a big scary topic that uh <laughs> sends shivers down my spine. But uh I also think it's a it's a pretty awesome uh topic. I'm I'm definitely like a a humanist. Um I believe mm. that like people are important for good work to happen. I don't think that you can really replace a lot of that with systems or or AI. So um so I think it is something that's that's core, but I also think it's something that is very Diver- divisive, and uh, a bit of a challenge to kind of talk through. So, we'll, we'll uh, so I'm excited to. I'm excited to jump into it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Great. So um, that line uh, is says a half an hour for the first part, which is a news catch-up. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I don't want to spend enough time on it. I'll. We'll, we'll cut it down something shorter, because I think mm-hmm. we can talk a lot about the like the ethical part of this more. But let's start mm-hmm. going over some interesting news of the last I don't know couple of weeks. So uh, the one I I. What are- oh. Yeah. Do you want to just give us like a so we have the
0: outline, we're gonna go jump into the news first. We're eventually gonna get yeah. into ethics. There was there's a
1: couple other sections, right? Or yeah. Or am I misremembering? So so let me kind of give you a quick summary of our outline. So first we're gonna talk about uh Google I.O. We're gonna talk about um some interesting things that we've seen. Like one one topic that I think is really cool is something called drag GAN. And I'll mention what again is, because it's something we haven't seen in a while, but it's kind of coming back a bit. Um Uh, A great paper I read that I think people should read. It's really interesting. It's called, um, Tree of Thoughts. Um, the full title is being more complex. What is it? Full title is Tree of Thoughts, Deliberate Problem-Solving with Large Language Models. Great paper, Mm -hmm. and we'll share the link for that one so you guys can read through it. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then kind of from there, we'll go into part two, which is talking more about the ethical considerations in AI. Um, so I want to talk about the considerations of AI and art. Um, AI and job displacement, AI and security concerns, AI and challenges to the absolute human condition. Um, and specifically, I want to call out uh, Jeffrey Hinton, um, who's somebody I've brought up. On. She once or twice as somebody who I think is really interesting and relevant um, in the AI world, because uh, he's been making news as he's left in the part of Google for um, particularly um, interesting reasons tied to ethics. Uh, he, he's kind of worried about AI and where it's going. and mm-hmm. it's a little- ramifications that has to, to human beings, um, for a variety of reasons. Um, and so we can talk about that because he's a big deal. Um, so him talking about this and him, him putting that effort in there is, is probably going to continue to expand the, um, let's say the scope of discussion around this topic in, in the near future. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that's, and that's our day and anything else kind of think is interesting we'll mm-hmm. toss it in there, but that's our outline.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just think uh, like before, it's great that we've got it and I'm, I'm glad that we're, we're putting it in. Uh, and I think just for anyone new listening, um, this is sort of something that we've we've ran through ChatGPT to help us uh, better yeah. understand what we're trying to do uh, and and better organize all the chaotic thoughts that both of us just kind of surface when it comes to AI. We kind of
1: explode and, and it's a shotgun blast of information. So it's nice to have yeah, um, it boxed, I mean, it, boxed in for us. We want to eat our own dog food, you know. We keep talking about using AI, and so where else better to use it than on our podcast where we talk about using AI? You know, makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So let's uh, let's jump into the news. Cool. Let me let me do I- IO because I watched it and my <laughs> old I- I <watched> IO. So <laughs> for those who don't know, Google IO is uh, a yearly conference Google has where you know it's a comp- it's it's originally intended as a developer conference. So what that means is basically. They might have a bunch of really interesting new APIs, application protocol interfaces, uh, which are kind of ways for developers to interact with their the technology. Uh, a simple example might be like Google Translate. You know, you can go on to uh, google.com translate and like, put in text and, and get it translated for you. But you can also, um, like, through just like programmatic means, just pass text to it and have it pull out for you, um, the translated versions of that text. So that's a simple example of an API. Um, uh, and tied to a tool that we might all know. Uh, and Google had lots of those APIs behind the scenes that they use, you know, in their products and that we have access to. So they usually talk about those things at this conference and they talk about their new products as well too. It's become a bit of a product conference as well. So they talk about like their new fold phone. They talked about, um, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the products to be honest. There, there's other things they talk about, the tablet, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I was really attention into the AI though because this year Google really, really kind of ramp up the discussion about AI. And there's tons of stuff out there that you can read up. And I recommend, if you want, just go on YouTube and look at a video, look at a summary of, of IO, uh, AI topics. And it's 20 of them out there they kind of show you the interesting stuff there. Um, and I'll just talk about a couple of those things that I think are relevant. Um, and if you want more information, I recommend, honestly, finding tons of YouTube videos that can walk through that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first thing I want to talk about is um, their announcement of, palm two p a l m two so palm stands for pathways pa language model um and this is also sort of a, a bit of a confusing thing because pathways is tied to a different effort by jeff not jeff, not different sorry by jeff dean <laughs> uh jeff dean is like the the, the principal of jeffs. yeah the sense of jeff's in, in the, this world by the way so very varies up with that um <laughs> jeff dean is very famous too he's famous for different reasons he, there's a lot of nerd jokes about jeff dean because he's very smart he's a very smart Man's mm-hmm. been running at Google for a very long time, and he like leads every one of their major teams um so he's had this idea about the models of the near future that um are different than the ones that we have today, and it's a very interesting topic, and I think it's very relevant for some of our interests and then maybe I'll talk about that a little bit more, but I'll just summarize it to say that um this pathways initiative he has is essentially trying to find ways to create a more scalable and distributed system for AI right now with language models, especially, you know, as they get bigger, the more, um, challenge they get to use in some ways. Like it takes much more time to use GPT-4 than 3.5. As an example. If I type in a, mm-hmm. like a string for GPT-3.5, I'll get an output in like less than 3.5 seconds, let's say. Um, but if I do the same thing for GPT-4, I'll get a better quality output guaranteed, mm-hmm. um, but it'll take three, four, five times as long. Like honestly, you can take like 15 seconds sometimes to finish a whole thing, or 20 <laughs> seconds, um, and it's worth it. What's 20 seconds for an answer on how to solve a code problem? Um, but you you can see how this could be problems. For example, if you want to have uh, a system that can scale out to um, your Google searches, and you want to do search, you don't want to wait 15 seconds to get your response. You want to get something back immediately. So um, they've been working really hard on trying to find ways to improve this system, and and Palm is one of their like first initial efforts where they just trained it in very special ways. And I again, I won't go into the details, but Tom2 was recently announced and it's what's powering their um, their BARD API. BARD is mm-hmm. their search-based chatbot, very similar to Bing's chatbot. Um, and they're, they talk about a lot about their advances there. They're basically having their own sort of plugin system that talk about their partnerships with other teams. They have a partnership with Langtree um, with um, also uh, with the company i had some experience with years ago uh repl it's r-e-p-l mm-hmm. i use it for education purposes back in the day i used to teach mm-hmm. and i use as a platform for teaching mm-hmm. it's my uh, choice interview platform as well like, yeah i use that for it's interviews yeah. if you're if you're technical and you want to look into some cool ways to sort of like play with code and get some mm-hmm. you know back forth feedback with other people in code in a social way mm-hmm. it's a great platform look into it mm-hmm. and they've now been partnered with google so there's some interesting stuff happening there um, mm-hmm. So, um, tons of cool stuff there, like prompts to deploying a code right away. That um, was something that we're working on. Um, and Pong2 is very interesting because it is tiny. It is tiny, mm-hmm. but um, almost as good as, as GPT 4. Not quite. Uh, maybe even that. And some things is almost as good, and some things is not anywhere near as good. But the mm-hmm. benefit is that it is, I think it's. Uh, 10 billion parameters. Now, for reference, um, we know that TPT 3.5 was about 150 billion parameters. Yeah. Um, and estimates, they don't talk about it, but estimates put TPT 4 at around 1 trillion to 1.5 trillion parameters. Mm. And, and why that's relevant is that um, these parameters re- represent this rough size, the, the bulkiness of a model. And with language models of today, their their nature and all of these in the transformer architecture, which, which we've talked about before, but transformers are this baseline kind of like architecture that's been described in 2017 um, from a paper um, called Attention Is All You Need. Anyway, um this architecture is very powerful, but the bigger it gets, the slower it gets, because mm-hmm. it is um, let's say quadratically expensive to use. What that means basically, a, a simple example would be um, when you pass text into a transformer or to any kind of like language model, um, what it does to, to complete and to provide the next, the next output is that it first tokenizes all that text. So it breaks it into roughly four character batches um, mm-hmm. and it passes that token through every single parameter that exists in, um, in the model. Um mm-hmm. and those parameters represent kind of like the internal knowledge of the model. And from that it decides what's what's best to put outwards or how to understand this this token. So first all, mm-hmm. tokenize all of the letters you put in already, all the characters, into those groups. And then it'll say, well, with information, let's put in the next character. And then so will tokenize that entire group again and put in the next token, which is gonna be maybe the word the or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it'll put that all again back through. That model. And so mm-hmm. the process essentially is the, the bigger your prompt and the bigger the model, the the more expensive this gets because for the, the longer the response gets, the more expensive this gets because it takes the mm-hmm. bigger response or the bigger previous context that it has, puts it back through mm-hmm. the entire um, model. It says, okay, well, now that I have added one sentence to it, let's again look at the whole output that exists mm-hmm. in Mark, including what you prompted it with and pass it through the model and pass Mm -hmm. each token of those in through each parameter. Yet another token, doesn't matter. Mm scratch, We pass every single one of those tokens again through the model. Mm -hmm. So it's bigger and bigger and bigger and more expensive. Anyway, long story short, huge models, very powerful, but they don't scale infinitely Mm -hmm. well. And, Mm -hmm. you know, usually get faster and better and that's going to help. But people are looking at ways to make things smaller and more refined.
0: yeah that does seem to be where like Google keeps positioning itself too in terms of like this race in terms of like what's happening so like we saw it with the uh, the image model it did earlier uh, where compared to like stable diffusion um where you're kind of like constructing an image kind of chunk by chunk uh it sort of like does this like iterative rendering uh in a very different way um that turns out to be like significantly faster and yeah. much easier at actually producing like readable text and and uh, more. Um, you know, correct uh, uh, outputs. Uh, Mid-Journey had huge leaps in that as well. But, uh, yeah. you know, I, th- I think uh, I think this is another sign that like sort of Google's looking at, okay, maybe we can't play like the size game and maybe we don't, we're kind of going to be first to market in that, but maybe we can be first to market in at least like optimizing or or being the efficiency
1: um, of of these other models. I think ex- you're exactly right. And that's kind of what they kind of talked about here. In fact, they even have um, a family of models for Palm 2. The smallest of which they say um, isn't even 10 billion parameters. It's very small, but they say it can run on your smartphone offline, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which is quite powerful. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it won't be anywhere near as good as GPT four, but it might, not, might mm-hmm. it be as good as GPT three point five. But there's something mm-hmm. to be said about having a model that can run on your device um, mm-hmm. that means that you can quickly and accurately, or accurately enough. That means that you have a lot of new opportunities there tied to security. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to have your mm-hmm. thing connecting to a Google server or tied to functionality, if you want to have games that use language models, you know, you don't want to have them have to hit the server every single time to, to run or else it's an online only game. Well, what if you could have it mm-hmm. so that your little model exists on your, your computer or on your phone that you can talk to and interact with to enrich your game. Um, I think that could be a, a increasingly powerful opportunity. I think there's other people who are working on this as well too this is very much the effort that you see inside of the open source market open source mm-hmm. being you know the overall community that we have around us that people contribute to ben recently contributed to an open source project a little while ago which is very cool um mm-hmm. but yeah i think i think that we're gonna see over the next year or two this really mm-hmm. this divergent path and they're both relevant the one path mm-hmm. where they try to make things the most powerful amazing interesting models out there and the path that's mm-hmm. trying to make them actually Cheap, small, and efficient to run, um, mm-hmm. which won't be the best, but they'll learn from the best, and they'll they'll improve mm-hmm. over time, and they'll you can have them on your smartwatch or in your headphones probably mm-hmm. in the future. And, and
0: like we see this in a lot of other fields too. Like, I mean, if you look at um, deployment right now, if you're building an app and you're going to deploy it right now, it's like Vercel and Netlify are like the the key tools that we do to do that. Uh, it's just easy. It's yeah. it's you know a couple button presses. You hook up your library to it, it. Just works. And then suddenly you've got an app and and it's it's live. Uh, that's just running on top of AWS. There's no there's no magic really. Uh, there's there's a little bit of like kind of like making it integrated in the, in the easy way. Um, and I think that's sort of the the magical piece. But um, th- there's really something powerful in that in 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 this sort of space where. Uh, you really want to capture things for enterprise at this like large scale can do anything very customizable space uh but then the hobbyists really end up living in a in a very different world uh, and so i think this divergence is sort of natural we generally see this kind of come up time and time again uh it just so happens that like the entire thing is is open source <laughs> in a in an earlier point than we are really used to seeing uh so now there's a lot more divergence here which is Absolutely. very interesting.
1: And I think, and I think that we're going to see more and more as also people try to explore different techniques for building models. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, billions are being poured into this industry right now, billions upon billions upon billions. And like within the last like six months only, um, that amount has been skyrocketing since Mm -hmm. ChatGPT really, and then again when GPT four came out. Mm -hmm. So um, it should be an interesting world, and I think I I really do welcome all this diversity um, for a variety of reasons. Some of them even just being ethical. And we want to make sure we have as many players as possible so that we don't have all this power in one group's hands, um, which mm-hmm. is fascinating as well too, I mean, We can talk about that later on. Mm-hmm. But, um, the next thing I'll we'll talk about really with, with, um, I, before I leave it is that, um, so Google recently combined, um, their two disparate, um, AI teams. I think I've also mentioned mm-hmm. that they have these two teams. They have Google brain, um, and they have deep mind, um, mm-hmm. deep mind was a purchase they made for. Six hundred million dollars USD. It was in pounds because mm. mine's a UK, UK company, um, and uh, that was about five six years ago, um, and that they've been working separately more or less um, from Google Brain, which is their their bread and butter internal company, um, internal group for AI. which is very powerful. And they're, very, they're both very powerful um, groups, and if you measure their ability against like papers they release, they both release highly qualitative, powerful papers. Um, you know, like. Google Brain released that transformer right. paper, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, DeepMind released Chinchilla. They've released mm-hmm. uh, Flamingo. They released tons of interesting papers tied to mm-hmm. using models of, of the future. Um, so they both have like really, really powerful pedigrees, let's say. Um, but they've often competed internally, um, as groups. And I think after the whole thing that happened with ChatGPT and GPT four, mm-hmm. and a lot of the was mm-hmm. um, they're like, all right, we're now combining these teams. It's going to be all. Mm-hmm. Um, Run by um, mm-hmm. um, who is like an idol. I think I mentioned him again also in one of these mm-hmm. um, uh, podcasts. He's this child prodigy in chess who ended up going into making um, Theme Park the game and Black and White the game and then went, mm-hmm. became a neuroscientist and then founded mm-hmm. the mind. He's just, he's just a smart person. Um, mm-hmm. So he's, he's running this, this group now. And um, they are actually starting a new uh, model product. And and they're calling mm. it Gemini so far as the code name. Mm. And mm. Um, they haven't released a lot about it yet. This, of course, people are speculating like crazy, and I won't do that too much. But I will say that what they've said so far about it is that it is going to be um, multimodal um, out the gate, um, mm. which generally means, for those who don't know what that means, uh, I'll kind of do t- a t- quick recap, re- recap rather. Um, multimodality in models um, is relevant because currently language models are only trained on text. Um, meaning mm-hmm. that you put in text, you get text outputs. Um, there are some workarounds, people are working on it really clever. Like you, you put in text and then that it gives you a text output, but that text output can be converted into code, which can convert it into mm-hmm. an image, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was decently well, but mm-hmm. the model has no idea about that image. It doesn't, it doesn't really know what it looks like. It just knows what the text representation is about the image at best. Um, so there's this idea that, you know, with all these models, especially with transformers What's special about them is that they can tokenize anything. Tokenization I mentioned before is converting like right now text in groups of four uh, characters in English, at least in other languages, it's different groups into like machine understandable vectors, which are like numbers, which can be used inside of its brain. Uh, I won't go into details too much, but that's kind of what it, you should think about as, um, text and numbers. Um, you can also convert pixels to numbers in mm-hmm. different groups, different mm-hmm. chunks um and people do that sometimes as well but it's it's expensive pixels and images are, are, are very heavy and and we don't have the best well we don't have a lot of really good architecture that works with it although we have some um multi-modality is is take both text and images and understands them both equally <laughs> people are working on different kinds of architectures that can work with not just text and images but sound um converted <laughs> to tokens um and even things that, that are not traditionally things that humans understand like lidar point clouds <laughs> or um you know, like radar information or uh, mm-hmm. other kind of spatial like data that we don't perceive, um, mm-hmm. or visual data that we don't perceive, or auditory mm-hmm. data we don't perceive to things mm-hmm. that you can perceive. Um, really interesting stuff. Um, and they mentioned multimodality, so we don't know exactly what that means. It could be just text and pictures, it can be text, pictures, audio, text, picture, audio, video. It could be tons of things, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're training it, they already have a checkpoint, which is means that when they train these models to be very big they can basically Mm. pause them at certain points, copy it, and use a smaller version Mm. of it, and and Mm. like a mini version of it, and test it out, Mm. and then they can continue to grow from that point. Um, Mm. And so they have checkpoints that's already functionally multimodal, meaning that they can give Mm -hmm. it either an image, I'm guessing, or text, and it can output either images or text. So Mm. it should be very interesting to see what what this turns into. It's still being trained. Mm. I imagine most of these things take about well, they're getting much faster training, but they take anywhere from three weeks to six months to train, I'd say, depending on how big this month will be. So who knows how long they've been training it, who knows how long they're going to, but I'd say by end of this year, we'll probably hear more about it. And mm-hmm. after training, they they do very thorough testing for months and months and months to make sure it isn't mm-hmm. like, I don't know, say very racist stuff or isn't like yeah, really, really like dangerous. Like, mm-hmm. like we'll talk about the ethics of this, but it could be dangerous mm-hmm. like to be like um, malicious maybe not the word to use, but it could mm-hmm. just not care about security and just go into your computer, it has access to it, and like do very terrible mm-hmm. things, do RMRF um, all, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. delete all your files, all your files basically, or mm-hmm. or drop all your tables in your in your in your code base, just because it wants yeah, to, exactly. because it's funny. Who knows what? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. should be very interesting to see what that, what goes on there. I think that's going to be sort of like the next generation of models that we see, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. this one, yeah. but we'll see AI. You see other companies who are working on models that are just text based, but Text and image. Mm -hmm. I mean, GPT-4 is multimodal, but in a very particular Mm -hmm. way. Um, It's using a process that's probably called stitching. (coughs) Stitching is when you combine a model that's text, let's say, and Mm -hmm. image. You Mm -hmm. freeze them so they don't change anymore. And you give them kind of a glue intermediary step. And Mm -hmm. bingo-bingo, it's multimodal. Um, Mm -hmm. On an image, you talk to it. The text part talks to the image part. And the image part gives you an output. So it's mm-hmm. one cohesive piece, but mm-hmm. the thing is they're not really, they're not really trained from the beginning to be multimodal, mm-hmm. which means that they don't really have an initial understanding of things in this multi-dimensional world. And a lot of mm-hmm. initial research has shown that things that do have that have a lot of okay. opportunities and, and gains from that. Like a transfer mm-hmm. of understanding from, you mm-hmm. know, I know what an apple looks like and I know what mm-hmm. apple statistically is made up of chemically and is like right. described as. And that way when mm-hmm. I see an apple, I'm like, oh absolute apple. Mm-hmm. It's rotten though. I can tell it's rotten because I know what a rotten yeah. apple is like. Um, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. It
0: it would be interesting to like see that with something like poetry or something like that, where mm-hmm. where like even the way that the words are written or the ways that the words look even implies something. Absolutely uh, and, and so it's it's another like level
1: of of understanding. Uh, that you might not have otherwise.
0: Yeah.
1: It should be very fascinating. I think I think this is going to be, I mean, this is why I love this stuff. I, I think that this is also mm-hmm. very insightful into the human mind in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. As we ask ourselves why we do the things we do when we are mm-hmm. kind of butting up against these models that do the things they do. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's like, oh, that's weird. Why would I do that? I he's like, wait, mm-hmm. why do I do that? <laughs> <What> do, <laughs> how do I do that? Yeah. There's, there's something behind that. Uh, and so it's a very yeah. much an interesting mirror. It's not a one-to-one mirror for mm-hmm. us, it, not mm-hmm. us, but they're the kind of mirror mm-hmm. that, it makes you respect which is very powerful i think
0: yeah i, I think one of my uh this is because we're going to go into jeffrey in a little bit but in, yeah. in one of his interviews he talks about like hallucinations uh which mm. i think he prefers to call uh confabulations mm. uh, but it's like half truths or like misremembered details and and those are like always the hallmarks of like human conversation uh i often uh, you know like and, and, and so it's sort yeah. of like these these systems are sort of just doing what is human to some degree, um, yeah, we don't, which is we don't have, hilarious.
1: We don't have a video recording in our brains of things that have happened in our past. Mm-hmm. Whenever we remember them, we are just reconstructing them from scratch based off of like mm-hmm. sound, a noise in our brain. Um, and mm-hmm. so when we remember things, and this is why often people talk about why um, having a witness, an uh, eyewitness is not very useful in a lot of situations. Yeah. because. Um, you can very easily coerce them to remember something differently because if you can really convince mm-hmm. them that that shirt was blue, not red, they remember it. It's going to be blue in their memory, not because mm-hmm. they have a recording in their brain, but because they have code in their brain or signals in their brain that they convert into mm-hmm. visual remember- memories. So, yeah, and uh, there's
0: there's some evidence that like when you, the more time you spend remembering a uh, a memory, the less well you actually recall <laughs> that memory. Uh, so yeah. you know, the more often you think back on a loved memory, the the more it gets destroyed, which is interesting. Uh, the, the, more, <laughs> the more it's
1: manipulated in the feedback loop between your your memory and your recollect, recollection of it going back into your database. See, this is why it's so right. interesting. Like it makes us think more about how we yeah. do think, right? Um, exactly. That's fascinating stuff. And 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 yeah. worthy of its own competition. But let's move on. Let's talk yeah. about the next. Um, awesome. Um, this is uh, Gan. Drag Gan, yeah.
0: Um I don't maybe you've seen it on LinkedIn, maybe you've seen it on on other platforms. Why don't you talk uh, about it? Just, and
1: I'll sh- I'll share my screen and you talk about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. But there's there's this fantastic demo uh Dell's about to bring up um where you see like this image of a dog or uh the image of the sunset or something like that. Um and you basically get these kind of like uh key points to be able to like manipulate. Um and so you can see, yeah, now on the screen here, um dragging the smile bigger, changing the ears. Um, I love, I think there's, there's one of these with a a car um, further in where uh, it, it kind of adjusts like, yeah, the details of this car. Uh, And I think that that's fantastic for something like, I don't know, uh, like industrial design or something like that, where you, you maybe want to emulate something or you want to make it look a little bit different. Um, I think I I often think back to uh, like product managers or. Or people who are like sort of like trying to get just the right photo uh, or just the right output, uh, it being able to just like kind of hop in and just kind of quickly change it a little bit, um, it, it's it's fantastic. Um, there's a uh, there's a guy who I'm trying to remember. I think he's a de- I think he used to be a developer. Uh, something worry I can't remember. I'll I'll add in the show links. But um, basically, the idea is uh, a lot of the systems that we use to build with. Um, like if we're coding or if we're writing or, or a lot of things, um, if we wanted to tweak those things, there's often not like a user interface for that. Oftentimes we're like hard coding something in, um, and then we're, and then we like switch back to the context of like where it's displayed and we're looking at it. This is like the first, like almost effortless (laughs) case where you, you basically get this user interface to change something and interact with something. Um, and it feels somewhat, somewhat effortless in that way where, where you can kind of easily take that output and directly in the output, make those changes. Um, uh, so this is, this is just fantastic. I don't know. It's, it's such a cool, such a cool demo. I'm a huge like visual person. Uh, yeah, I think this stuff is, is going to change everything.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I I think, I think to some degree, what is really, um, powerful about this is Mm -hmm. The same thing that's powerful about a lot of these um, tools that we've been building over the last year or two is that um, mm-hmm. it enables a wider group of people to be very capable of doing things that were normally very skilled tasks. Like, shifting the perspective of a line like this, you could have maybe done that if you were a Photoshop expert, like really, like mm-hmm. like 10,000 hours kind of an expert mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. But what does it mean if you can just do this, click around and move it around? Mm-hmm. It, it means you enable people to be... Much more powerful as individuals, um, mm-hmm. you can have groups. Of people do more as well. Um, you can you can have people mm-hmm. who are not necessarily people who have have ten thousand hours in Photoshop, you know, be people who are your editors um, for your images and, and modify things for you. Mm-hmm. So um, you create you create opportunity a lot a lot of opportunity mm-hmm. with that sort of thing, um, and uh, you know the the tools are going to get better. This is still very you know rudimentary. The buttons are still very much mm-hmm. like. Um, kind of arcane to some degree to some yeah. people. Um, but they'll increasingly become more clear. And and just a so, for some insight, GAN, G-A-N, um, general adversarial networks, these are were very popular before the Transformers came out. Um, they were like five, six years ago, they're they're the big deal. Um, yeah, they oh, would
0: see these like sketches, rough sketches of something, and then it would come into like being a massive, you know, beautiful landscape or something like that from a from a simple sketch that a three year old might make.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, of course, and and, mm-hmm. and like they were they were really cool for what the, the back then, um, but they were replaced very mm-hmm. quickly with like you know your dollies, your midjourneys, and and your um stable diffusions. Um, mm-hmm. So GANs are still relevant and they're still um, powerful in a lot of ways, uh, and and you know they're still able to do a lot of really cool things for us. And this is a GAN-based tool where you can take an image mm-hmm. and then modify it um with Mm -hmm. this system and the powerful thing about it again and the way it works is that it's really two separate tools um your Mm -hmm. um your like generator let's say and your your critique your critic your criticizer i pick the term for it there's Mm -hmm. there's more like technical terms but the person Mm -hmm. that generates or the model generates is like here's a picture of a cat and then the other one's like is it really though is it it's like Mm -hmm. no it's not cat like enough and that is and then and then um so their jobs are very different. One is to generate as mm-hmm. realistic a cat as possible. And one is to mm-hmm. say whether or not they can tell that this was generated to be a cat or if it's a really a cat picture. And mm-hmm. the more this feels like a real picture to the one that mm-hmm. can be the critiquer, the mm-hmm. better the reward given to the one that generates. And through this process, you create great things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And you can see when they shift this around, you can see that it's constantly doing this iterative step process mm-hmm. to kind of get just right or, or a realistic image. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, it's really cool. I think we'll see more tools like this. I think we'll see tons of combinations of different kinds of models that work together to mm-hmm. create vastly more complex um, systems um, in the palm of everyone's hands, really, mm-hmm. uh, as, as we've done with technology over the last well, mm-hmm. forever. Uh, but more recently, mm-hmm. with you know, our models of, of the last five years.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, that was another thing in Google I.O., right? Which was the, uh, the magic edit yeah Mm -hmm. ability so yeah like google's already sort of done the magic eraser they pulled that in from sort of photoshop but now the magic edit where it's like oh like the cropping of this photo is wrong let me just move you over a little bit or like change change the photo in like these magical ways this sort of it feels like this is on the way (laughs) yeah to that in some in some ways that's much more rudimentary or it's a it's a very different process but it's still sort of showing that same you know Let's kind of fill in the background with what this probably has. Let's sort of, you know, do that context-aware fill. Uh, and then let's adjust this photo uh, to be where we want, you know?
1: You, you know, there's, I, think, yeah. I think there's a lot of things we can talk about with the ethics. But this is one of those topics is what does it mean mm-hmm. when people can edit photographs so easily? So mm-hmm. easily. Before, there was at least that mm-hmm. guard you could be an expert. But now anybody right. can do it. Mm-hmm. relevant relevant but let's let's keep moving on um the next thing i want to talk about is the paper tree of thought mm-hmm. so i'll do this quickly this is a this you know i want to try to have at least one paper i share with everyone every single time we do this because i think it's gonna be a very <laughs> valuable way to um demystify the nature of mm-hmm. these things
0: and last um, week we just talked about how how you should ever everyone can kind of get in and start reading these papers so gotta gotta eat our own dog food here too
1: yeah exactly so this is one I read a couple days ago. Um, and it's funny because I was talking to uh, my partner's uh, father and he has a new game he was playing where basically, um, it's a little game on his phone where, mm-hmm. um, he gets like seven or eight numbers and he has to make it equal another number. And so you, you multiply numbers, add, subtract, and the goal is to hit the final resulting number. Um, and I mentioned it because, um, this, this mechanism, this, um, this, uh, let's say prompting technique that they discussed in this paper actually has, um, one of the first tests being that exact game. It was so funny because he, he, he brought up the game for me and I just pre- finished reading the paper and uh, it's called game 24, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. where you say, great. Um, here are four numbers mm-hmm. right there. Uh, in this case, the four numbers they're showing are showing our numbers four, nine, 10, and 13, and they're saying, mm-hmm. make it equal. Um, a value that I tell you to, uh, 24 specifically in this case. And they're like, cool. Well, um, Let's let's see. If I do four plus nine, it's thirteen. If I say ten minus four, it's six. And I just there's all these little primitive perm- steps to try to get to the final result of twenty four and give you an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's much better at, at, at doing so. This, this this technique than previous techniques of of doing so. And I'll explain mm-hmm. real quick what I mean by this technique. Mm-hmm. So also um, you styles. want to zoom
0: in just a little bit on that. Oh just yeah, a... why not? There okay, I see small. that.
1: Perfect. Yeah. How about that? Nice and big. Yeah. No- Nice. Perfect. So these, these models are, our um, language models are very powerful at giving you answers. Like right now, if I want to use ChatGPT, I would say, hey, what's the answer to action to so question X or Y? And it would give me uh, a response. And I think of responses almost as like a single thought. If we can think of our thoughts as these like flashes or as these like states of, of, uh, of thinking mm-hmm. that can be segmented mm-hmm. out and, you know, chained together in different ways... Um, you know, we can think of a language model response as being a single one of those. Um, Mm -hmm. And what's increasingly happening is people are creating engineering efforts on top of that model architecture to create the more complex thinking processes that we do internally. Sometimes subconsciously, sometimes we're taught them. Like, you know, we're taught in school often, um, you know, how to do like critical thinking, how to do, you know, deductive reasoning or inductive reasoning, et cetera. Um, and um, other techniques to study, other techniques to like, learn and grow or to do math even. And so we're trying to kind of distill this into um, technical architecture. Like China thought was um, really interesting. It, it was a, a process that was um, uh, pretty early on in the, in the, in the efforts of, of language models, probably like three years ago, or no, not even that long, let's say like a year and a half ago, time flies, mm-hmm. um, where um, they were just saying to a model, for example, um, think about this answer step-by-step, step, um, mm-hmm. which is not bad. Um, and then they're like, well, how about this? What if I say, um, have an output, look at that output, and say, is that a good output? What's missing in this output? Um, it's not quite what it needs to be, so let me do another output. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the original like, chain of thought thinking. Based off and, on, like,
0: mm-hmm. well, think one benefit of chain of thought that, that that's really interesting of, uh, when you think about like ChatGPT or other things like that is you can basically come up with a plan of like something that you're going to execute. And then when you start losing memory, when you start getting to that token limit of being able to, for it to remember the whole conversation that you had, you still kind of have this plan that you can go through and it can kind of keep outputting stuff even though it's maybe forgetting things. Um, It's been really, really helpful for people who are programming or people who are doing like, you know, step-by-step things where you don't necessarily need to know everything about the previous step to do the next step.
1: Yeah. And, and, and there's other really interesting things. So, for example, like, you know, you kind of get an insight into um, how these models solve problems to some degree. I mean, they're, they're often, number one, better when they do this. They're, they're like mm-hmm. better at solving problems. Um, but number two, you can also see how they reason through things because you, you see mm-hmm. their thoughts. They, they vocalize their thoughts. Yeah. And then you can see a tree <laughs> of their thoughts. Specifically, this one is all about creating a different kind of architecture that's more about creating, um, like, not just. Um, this hierarchical, like top-down approach, Uh, and you know, you have this, this, um, system over here that they show in this image on my screen called self-consistency with chain of thought, which is probably the current best mechanism for solving problems where they have like many different opportunities. So they say, well, how do I solve a problem? Well, I can try A, B or C let's walk down the path of A and chain of thought through that one. Cool. This is the answer. Mm -hmm. Let's walk down the path of B and chain of thought through that one. Cool. That's the answer. And then you see, go to the very end where you have the, this final output. This tree of thought is a, a, an evolution of that one where you kind of say, mm-hmm. let's think of like three answers and validate them and see which one is the best one to some degree. We'll give it, we'll give it the top two, let's say. In this case, we show the top two that they kept of those three. And say, wait, okay, now the top one, let's give it, let's, let's try that four different steps after this one. So if step one is, um, let's, let's solve this problem of like, the, the question is, um, what's the best baseball team you know whatever it can be anything mm-hmm. and it's a like, cool uh on to solve this problem i'm gonna think about um one of the metrics that are relevant for uh the best uh maybe the ones who won the most world series um uh, maybe mm-hmm. ones who have had the most home runs or whatever it may be and it can mm-hmm. they can kind of go through those steps and then it'll evaluate instead like of a metric let's let's use that information who is the best does that make sense doesn't really make sense mm-hmm. so it'll it'll mm-hmm. it'll do that process iteratively over and over again and with a tree system each, each step that it thinks is valid or valuable, it'll not just do one additional step after that one, it'll do um, another sort of like branching permutation. So not just mm-hmm. um, think of the next step, think of like five different potential steps. Of those five steps, which one seems to be the best one? Okay, well, number three seems to be the best one. Let me go in that one. Of that one, let's do five more of those steps. So you can create this like mm-hmm. branching, branching tree of thoughts um, that eventually gets mm-hmm. you down to a very valuable answer. Which to some degree has some sort of mirroring to the human mind, uh, or some of our processes that we internally have. If not us personally, I know people who think this way, but I know people who think other ways too. So we're right. almost creating a, a personality in some ways, um, with these models. Mm-hmm. I, I keep going through these anthropomorphized um processes to describe this, but like the way mm-hmm. you think is a part of your personality. And the way we tell mm-hmm. these models to think is a part of their quote unquote personality in our mind.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it's like a... Sorry, computer science nerd over here, but it's sort of like a weighted breadth first search in some in some regards, right? Because you're kind of like exploring sort of every space, scoring those spaces, and then trying to like find the the best path down and remembering sort of like where you came from, too, right? That's how it hops back to a previous path sometimes, right? It kind of like goes down a path, realizes it's a dead end, and then comes back up and goes back down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: and mm-hmm. and uh, they, they, there's lots of math here. <laughs> there's lots of information mm-hmm. here, and you can often mm-hmm. skip the math if you're not really a math person. And they have a, mm-hmm. you know more human readable stuff here, um, or if you're really interested, there's, there's tons of maybe I'll find one next time. Uh, I'll, that's we'll do next next podcast. There's tons of tools now where you can feed it a research paper and you can ask it questions and say, Hey, can you summarize mm-hmm. what the paper means to me? Um, and uh, it'll summarize it for you. And you can say, Well, okay, what are your thoughts about the paper? What are your, what's your feeling? What's your thinking about this? Um, and uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Um, really cool. I think it's great. And uh, I, I, that's my paper of the day I want to share.
0: Also, yeah, um, awesome. Yeah, awesome. I'm, I'm really excited that I've been to dive into that one. I haven't seen that one yet, so. It's great. Uh, and, and I'm I'm really of- obsessed with ways to do all this stuff right now. So, uh, yeah. What is it going do?
1: Ben does this all the time. Ben is always kind. Like, he's so interesting seeing him engineer new mechanism and processes for like these bigger systems to handle models, it, 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 it's, it's just fantastic. Anyway, that um, reminds me of um, some other news I want, to sh- I want to talk about real quick. Um, real quick, I'll, I'll, I'll add it into the end. Um, some more companies are releasing models that are unique for other reasons. You know, we talk about smaller models. Um, mm-hmm. These models have much bigger context windows. I saw one that had sixty-five thousand tokens as a window, mm-hmm. and another mm-hmm. one, specifically Claude. Claude is one that we all know about. Yeah, before. Anthropic. Yeah, Andromic. yeah, Cla- yeah. Uh, a company I mentioned before, who's their ex-OpenAI people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they um, made their own company, and Claude is their model, and they have a, their, their newer version that can hit 100,000 tokens, um, mm-hmm. which is quite a bit. To give you an idea of what that means, the current models that we have access to have recently jumped. They've doubled from like 4,000 to 8,000 tokens. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, that's amazing. Um, 8,000 tokens is about five pages of text. Um, mm-hmm think of it as about 6,500 words, roughly, because it's four it's letters of token. The average word is like 5.3 letters like that. So, you know, bingo bingo, you have your counting uh, from there. The average page is like, I don't know how many words. So it's like 500 words or something like that. I think the math of mm-hmm. it, but I, I remember roughly that, um, that you can get for um, 8,000 tokens, I think it's five pages. Um, mm-hmm. And now they're up to a hundred thousand or so, mm-hmm. which is ten mm-hmm. times that, um, which is fifty pages, um, and that's that's quite a significant amount of pages. Um, mm-hmm. The difference between five pages of text that it can keep in its context versus fifty pages of text is mm-hmm. is huge. It's like this this paper that we're I was sharing earlier it was about ten pages long. Uh, a model right now couldn't read all that at once. Um, it would have to chunk it in smaller pieces and go through it, which is not bad. It's, it's possible, but it's additional engineering effort. But what if you just mm-hmm. screw all that and say, you know what? Read the whole thing at once and give me answers. Um, mm-hmm. It simplifies the engineering, number one. It provides probably better con- contextual understanding, number two. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just more powerful and with an output, number three. Eventually, mm-hmm. if the, your context window isn't just what it can read. It's also how much you can output. So, uh, if you give it five pages of or let's say you have a max of fixed pages and you give it 25 pages, it can read those 25 pages and then give you okay. another 25 on top of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, totally- I'm really interested. Yeah. I'm really interested to see, like, is that going to change how focused it can be in answering a question? Right. Because I think that's a big, the big challenge here is like um you of course have a lot of content and um like this is the best thing if I think about like all the research papers and all the research being done is people kind of ask these questions and then they go and try it out and you can kind of benefit from that research and understanding. Like mm-hmm. for instance, there was a, a paper that I saw recently where uh, asking question with the full word question, colon, and then the question is better than Q colon question. And it just <laughs> always produces a better answer. Like, and it's statistically proven, right? Uh, and so you've got things like that and it makes me wonder of course, I think this will be better for holistic questioning, right? Mm-hmm. I've got this entire document and I want to ask a big question on it. I think it'll be great for that. Somewhere but when it comes to, document. yeah, summarize the whole document. But when it comes to like, hey, tell me who this character is, you know, this character dies in this way, this story, and you're like, oh, like, I didn't want that. Like, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you may get details surfacing up that like maybe don't represent, like it's just the last detail about that character. Right. Because these these LLMs are really recency biased in terms yeah. of like how they output things. So if you're telling like a very long story and then you ask it about that story, it may just remember like the last couple chapters of the book. And it may have forgotten some of the details about earlier in the book. And I wonder what that's going to do and like what research we're going
1: to see related to that. I would be surprised if you needed to have um, different sorts of um, reinforcement learning, reinforcement learning from you feedback um, mm-hmm. for these bigger contexts where you say, um, I, w- I, I want you to behave differently when you're, um, when you're reading a document that's like fifty pages and them when you read documents, five pages. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, and that's its own thing, very fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we're going to see in the next little while, and this is the next few months, I mean, not like the next like few years, we're going to see mm-hmm. um, increasingly large context windows. And that's be mm-hmm. very fascinating for a variety of reasons. I think mm-hmm. there are some people out there who are looking at funny ways to either issue a window altogether and say it can be unlimited or like millions of tokens or find ways to be practical and value, valuably able to use, you know, 100 to 200,000 tokens to do more robust things. I think that mm-hmm. for example, the synthesis example I think of is right now you can't get a good book written out of a model from a prompt, mm. um, mm. It's, it, it loses context. It, like it can get chapter two in, uh, and it's mm-hmm. not even the best, but it can do it. But then after like mm. that, it's like, I can't keep my mind what was happening in chapter one when I'm on chapter four. So I'm going right. to just keep going on from chapters three to four and, and, and for number five, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. really, maybe really different than what you see in number one. And they will slowly over time have a very different book at the end, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would have is holistic output.
0: Yeah, which I think is another thing that's interesting about like the productization of, of these LLMs right now is like if you were writing an application to do storytelling, you would, potentially be building your own memory system because these LMS really don't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what we saw with the, uh, the Sims example um, from a couple of weeks ago where or maybe, actually that was like last episode, I think, but uh, we basically had this model of this town and all these villagers, they had memory and that memory had to be modeled in a specific way where it kept track of all these different details. And I would imagine for a story, if, if you wanted to remember all the details that were important, You would sort of like have a room, a a scene opens, the room opens, these characters enter, and it would basically be like, hey, remember what this room had in it? Remember what these characters interact with in that room? Remember what these characters know about each other? You know, and all these details. And like maybe even like as an author, you might want like, hey, these these characters have these like secret details of information that other characters don't know about. And so you almost need this like meta memory system to track all that stuff, you know, um, absolutely. And, and and this is where I think this year is all about architecture. This year is yeah. all about like like we've hit the capabilities. We've got these things. There's a bunch of new tools coming in. All the all the providers of all this stuff are doing a lot of work to 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 give us this great research and and you know these great tooling. But what are we going to do with it? And and I think that's what's going to
1: change a lot this year. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A great point yeah. to end it on. Mm-hmm. Now Fantastic. let's jump right into our section two, where we have a more open-ended discussion about ethics and AI. Indeed. First part, I want you to share your thoughts first too, because I know you care a lot about this stuff. You you just showed me your amazing book, The Mid-Journey Art Book. Um, oh, So yeah. first part, we're talking about the ethical implications of AI and art. Um, now... I got there, I'm going to read them out loud um, for yeah. you right now. The suggestions of GPT 4 as to what topics we can talk about. Questions for discussion. First one, how might AI-generated art affect our understanding and appreciation of human creativity? Question two, mm-hmm. how should copyright laws adapt to AI-generated arts? Mm-hmm. Now, there are tons of other things we talk about, but I want to kind of roll that into the ether. And before I even ask, I get to answer questions, I want you to... Um give me your your base raw feelings about a i art and with the only subset um of that being specifically the ethical considerations of a mm-hmm. yeah, i art
0: yeah i think um i think there's a lot of cool pieces to it of course and i think i think i uh I'm definitely somebody who's is drawn to the cool pieces when I think of the ethical pieces too though there's like there's a future piece here uh i think the future piece is really like I'm an artist i'm spending my time on this i'm putting a lot of my soul into this and like where's my outcome right um a lot of like the way that our society has evolved i think looking kind of at like medieval europe and thinking about like capitalism and and the ability to have like sort of free enterprise and not be reliant so much on like kingdoms and like kings to be able to like commission pieces of art right people have been able to like actually create businesses that enable them to be able to do this stuff, right? Uh, and it's not common good. It's like individual good, that there's a belief that your individuality can be expressed and rewarded, right? That, that kind of entire space there, that's what art is right now, right? Mm-hmm. And when it comes to how these you know, art uh, tooling is changing using AI and how potentially easy it is to produce some art, how challenging it is to now produce other art, Um, I think that's where we're seeing like a kind of a, a lot of questions, mainly a based on like, what's the future here, right? There was this ability for us to have a future, right? There was this appreciation, this idea of being able to commission, have things commissioned, be able to, you know, have a very large set of support for, for a, a large group of people who really want to be passionate about art as output. Um, and I think there's kind of two factors there. One is like, is this going to increase how much we want art? Right? How much we need it? Is, is, is there? Because I think with software and with AI, um, AI is going to enable us to create a lot more software. I think every company in the world wants more software. So I don't think it's going to drop. Like, I don't yeah, think the, that there's going to be like
1: a decreased demand, right? The cricket shrink is that we don't have people to make software for us. Mm-hmm. That's generally that's, it. That's, it's always more and more requirements, more and more need, more and more mm-hmm. we want for software. And the constraint yeah. is like, we don't have the money to afford to make all the stuff we want to make.
0: Mm-hmm. But is Just that thing art? true for art? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think the, I think that there is to some degree, I think there's, there's niches of art um, like mid journey, for example, right? I pay for a subscription for mid journey. That's fairly net new. I wasn't paying an art subscription before, right? Mm-hmm. If you can call that art, right? I wasn't paying for that previously. But I see a lot of benefit in like I do hobbyist activities or uh, we do this podcast and stuff. And it's it's something that like I, as a very rudimentary uh, <laughs> programmer artist, but I, I have half of an art degree, uh, you know, I could put something together for this stuff. I've done that for some websites and stuff like that. And, and I can do diagrams and I can do certain stuff, but I like what Midjourney gives me. It gives us this capability to be able to express ourselves in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does expand the market a bit, right? It does expand that sort of total adjustable market into places that maybe wouldn't have paid for that
1: prior, right? Yeah, I'll give you an example. Like, there's more and more games, like indie games, that are using mm-hmm. generated art as their assets. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. before, maybe somebody who's a developer, it's like, I can code, but I have mm-hmm. no art chops, and I don't have mm-hmm. the money to afford to pay for these do arts, then mm-hmm. the answer was like, well, you're kind of out of luck. <laughs> or use like open source assets already that exist. Um, right. If one had been customized, though, you couldn't do it. Um, but now, oh. in the middle, you can say, "Well, I can pay twenty dollars a month, or mm-hmm. pay for or pay for nothing and get like, an open source one, um, and mm-hmm. just generate my images, my assets, my backgrounds, my character design, etc. All mm-hmm. after like a few seconds of interactions, you can now create games that are much more artistically." expressive let's say Mm -hmm. for the same cost as it would have taken you to make like a text-based game to some degree Mm -hmm. um is that a net benefit probably to some degree i think a lot of Mm -hmm. people i think people who play games people consume games Mm be like oh it's pretty that makes me happy Mm -hmm. to see a pretty thing in front of me once us play a game um right
0: and but i think if you look at games too the most underpaid space of a game is the story mm -hmm. that's the place where like it's kind of an afterthought it's like let's get the effects, let's get the gameplay, let's get the art in, and then there's no money left. Really, we've already spent you know forty million dollars on this thing. Let's like push it, <laughs> like we gotta go, you know. Uh, so it does make me wonder, like, hey, maybe, maybe now there could be more opportunity in that space. To some yeah,
1: and, and I mean, like, there's a lot of cool things you can do. You can make dynamic mm-hmm. things. What about a game on the fly that let's say the card game. Um, and uh, the arc of the card is dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, like something happens, and you you find a new card um, it digitally, mm-hmm. it digitally unwrapped. And mm-hmm. the background is like, I'm gonna just generate it for you. I'm gonna give you mm-hmm. some generated text. I'm gonna give you some generated mm-hmm. images. I'm gonna the so that actually doesn't like <laughs> suck too much or isn't too great of a card, mm-hmm. but fits in the world. And there you go, it's yours. Nobody else has this card in the entire world. No other game mm-hmm. has this card. This game, this card is only made on your machine. That's a powerful oh. thing that we could have never done before not really mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. now we can potentially do that kind of stuff that's a net new opportunity provided to us by these technologies and the techniques mm-hmm. and we can talk i can talk your ear off I can talk my ear off about all the good things that can happen from this mm-hmm. but i want mm-hmm. you to answer a question i'm going to be hypothetically um, devil's advocate here mm-hmm. um one thing i hear a lot and i've talked to you a lot about, about this people who are very inclined. Um, what about the human element that we lose by putting a mm-hmm. uh, ai model um in front of everybody and giving them their own generated art art that they maybe can customize but in some degree lose the influences of those around them from like you know now it's no longer about you know um i don't know uh monet um mm-hmm. i can say I want art to look like this, and I can ignore Mm -hmm. any external influences in my art. I can have it being entirely self-interest driven. Um, Mm -hmm. And we lose something from that. And even Mm -hmm. deeper, does the human experience lose something from not toiling over art? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I think something I've heard a lot about is people Mm -hmm. say that if you don't suffer for your art, Mm -hmm. it's not art. Um, Mm A lot of that is about what is and isn't art. And I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't I'm not saying I believe or buy any of these arguments necessarily, mm-hmm. but I want to actually do my due diligence and and walk through mm-hmm. them and navigate through them and, and hear your thoughts about that
0: yeah i there's two places that I think of one one is um so when i when I went to design school, um, I loved animation I think animation was like my favorite course. Um, I think I was probably the best at it because i I like thinking about human anatomy, I like thinking about movement of 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 the body and like how a fall works and how like a step has like this certain gate and like the gate like kind of goes up and down. Um, And like, there's a lot of aspects of that and kind of details of that, that I enjoyed doing Um, details of that, that when it's hand done, it feels special, Mm -hmm. right? It feels special to you. There's a sort of aspect of it that like um, when you, when you do those specific little touches, and I'm sure if you kind of look at uh, like Disney or when you look at Pixar, there's a lot of like these like very small touches of, of what happens in those animations and, and, and the detail work there. That's where a lot of the magic is. It's also not the best place for these models (laughs) to some degree. Uh, Like they they do a really good job of like brute forcing piece of it. But when it comes to the detailing, I can't really get what I want out of mid journey. I have a lot of happy accidents. I think, I think most people do. I think most people sort of like type in something and it's like, Oh, like this isn't really what I thought. It's not, it's like uh it's like when you watch a movie after reading a book and you see the characters and you're like, oh, like those are oh I mean, yeah, sure. I guess I guess that could be what like Harry Potter looks like, but like I had definitely pictured this different kid, <laughs> you know. Uh, and uh, you know, I think I think it's to some degree your experience as an artist being able to like put your vision out there is limited by these tools to some degree, especially the kind of like captured all tooling. Um, one thing we saw with that research paper, uh, talking about like the LLMs and the, the simulation, uh, simulated town was when the villagers talked to each other, they all communicated in like an upbeat and helpful way. Similarly, I think when we're looking at these models that produce art, it's going to fall into this very general trough, right. Of like, this is like how either depending on like how the model is sort of trained, it's like, this is what humans reinforce the most. So like, this is like the thing most people like, therefore this is like a trendy, like sort of art piece, or it's based on an established artist, that has been trained by the model. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of that person's style. But if you're looking for your own style, there's, there's not an easy way to sort of find it. Um, you can kind of almost happen upon styles though, which is interesting. Uh, you definitely sh- combinations, yeah, yeah. I remember you showed me the one where it's like all these painting, uh, like splotches. Uh, yes, and and somebody had created these awesome like car splotches and like all it's like super yeah. colorful, super like gritty. It has this awesome feel to it. Um, you can almost find your own style there. So, so I think there's there's kind of these different pieces. I think if you're an artist and you pride yourself on your skills. The skills are changing mm. to some degree, and that's really scary
1: and um, uncomfortable for people.
0: And I understand that. I really yeah. do get that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But know, I also think, like, story. yeah, even especially even in our district, yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's it would be, it would be scary to be a lot of in a lot of different places in our field. Um, and I think, uh, but I also think, like, if George Lucas had this capability when he was thinking about building Star Wars. I think it would have been an insane, massive, sprawling mm-hmm. universe, right? with With so much detail and like so many more alien races and so many more, you know, like you know, the the capability for creation is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, the so so like there's sort of a there's two pieces there. One is sort of like you're losing this personal identity, and this. Idea that like you were going to go to work every day, and you were going to hop into your computer, and you were going to hop into Unreal, and you were going to do this, this specific task, and the challenge against that, the challenge against that that mental vision of your future, mm-hmm. that's really that's really scary. And then also the ability to do all these crazy things, you know, it's it, there's these two poles that are like yeah, diametrically opposed. i Imagine yeah.
1: somebody, let's say, who just just hit their ten thousand hours. In, mm-hmm. in like digital art creation, they've been doing it mm-hmm. for years. And now they're like, I am mm-hmm. actually an expert. People pay good money for this. I'm, I I mm-hmm. know how to navigate all these tools perfectly. And then this mm-hmm. comes out. I can mm-hmm. empathize with how frustrating that would be in your position. Um, mm-hmm. you're now somebody who feels like you wasted your time uh, mm-hmm. or you feel like, um, challenged because it's like, I spent hours on making this art. Beautifully, and people like that person's art more. And they put in some mm-hmm. silly prompt, and it made this thing that just looks traditionally good in a way that people would like mm-hmm. because that's how they're trained to to, to output images. Um, mm-hmm. I think that this is this is, of course, understandable. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 there's, I don't think we think less of people being upset at that. I think that's a, mm-hmm. who wouldn't be upset in that situation. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like um, it's one of those things that you have to grieve. And move on from over time um, mm-hmm. because there's, there's no going back there's no putting the genie back mm-hmm. in the bottle. Um, mm-hmm. if this is a, a flash in the pan and, and and we can move on and a lot of people are hoping that's the case and mm-hmm. then be angry and then and then hopefully mm-hmm. hold out and you'll it'll get better but i mm-hmm. don't suspect that's the case here i think that mm-hmm. these tools will only get better we saw one already that, in, that mm-hmm. improves it today um, they will increasingly get more robust, they'll get quicker, mm-hmm. they'll give you more vari- variation, and we'll learn to use them and we'll learn to find mm-hmm. our role with them over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think being a part of that is important.
0: And I think the thing that's especially dangerous right now is this, this, this challenge in that belief in the future. Because I think there are a lot of people that when they see digital art that was created with the assistance of AI there's a strong sort of revulsion in some groups Mm -hmm. to be like, okay, we have to fight this. We have to push this down. We have to like be opposed to this. Um, And at the same time, some of those people are the same people (laughs) that are trying to get into that space so that they can compete. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this, this sort of battle going on there. And I I think, um, uh, I, I think there's a real challenge in being able to, sort of just like empower artists to be able to create however they want to create. Uh, But to understand that like, yeah, this is a, this is a problem, but it's not about the person. Right. It's not about any of the people that are like using this. Right. It's just, it just happens to be like, this is the challenge. Right. This is the new world that we
1: all are going into.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone's trying to figure out like what's a way forward. Right. And we have to find a future. We have to find a future for art. We have to find a future for artists. So, um, We just have to figure out what it is, right? And you know whether that's you know uh, state-sponsored art, or whether that is you know a you know radical way of being able to like understand copyright, uh, or whether that is you know extreme regulation, like we're starting to see in Europe. Uh, There could be some different things here. Uh oh, I haven't seen that. I think your recording stopped. You might be, yeah, cool. No worries. I'm gonna stop the.
1: Okay. So let's go to the next topic. The next topic is jobs. Of course, this is one I think Gallup feel strongly about Jeffrey Hinton. This is one of those things he feels strongly about as well too. Mm-hmm. I think, let me, let me kick this off real quick. I think, um, the questions that are fun. GPT-4 tool says we should talk about our uh, which sectors are the most at risk and how can we prepare for this transition and how my mm-hmm. governments and businesses ensure a just transition for workers. Mm. So it's already assuming there's going to be a transition, number one, um, which is maybe fair. And I think this is true. I think that that, that um, jobs are changing. I've been reading a lot of like um, reports from companies who are talking about how over the next five to 10 years, they're like, well, we probably think we're going to replace a lot of our jobs with AI. Um, and mm-hmm. that's going to change these jobs and these jobs and these jobs. And um, understandably, a lot of people who are especially in those jobs currently are feeling um, anxious and yeah, why wouldn't you be feeling that way? Um, mm-hmm. One thing I read sometimes is I go on to Reddit and I read um, this, cur- this subreddit called Freelance Writers or Freelance Writing, one of the two. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, a, it's a bustling subreddit, especially right now as they are contending with um gpts of the world 3.5 4, sports especially um, a lot of them are losing jobs and opportunities and a lot of them are are competing against these models a lot of them are even annoyed because while they write these these things out that are like perfectly their own original works um the tools that we have to analyze and see if something is actually written by a language model or a human are not mm-hmm. perfect they're actually quite <laughs> often so mm-hmm. they'll give that to a client, client puts it to a machine. And they're like, um, this wasn't written by you, it's written by a machine. Mm-hmm. I'll keep it, but I'm not gonna be at full press because they, you didn't write it. But like, mm-hmm. I did it, I did write it. I swear. <laughs> and, and that's a yep. whole level of like complexity there too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think t- to summarize, I think the overall frustration they feel is mm-hmm. that it feels like this entire industry is on its last legs to them. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of what they do is they write things like SEO copy for website or they'll write, um, you know, um, HR descriptions, um, of, of, of like, um, job postings, or they'll write, um, you know, um, PR descriptions of events and, and, Mm -hmm. and news articles sometimes Mm -hmm. or summarizations of things that have happened in stocks, things like that. Um, and increasingly these, these like constant, you know, financial, let's say uh, inputs that they had are, are, are being slowly cut off, Mm -hmm. um, and I can appreciate that be very upsetting and a lot of them are very upset. Mm-hmm. Um and you, you can hear them talk about it, and a lot of them are very also um resigned to the fact that this is not gonna get better, it's gonna get mm-hmm. gonna go worse for them. Mm-hmm. And that is fair. And I think that's one of many jobs that might be challenged, you know? Mm-hmm. Um if someone's job is to make slides, um then you might be challenged when the tools for making slides with the prompt come out. Mm-hmm. And if their jobs is to handle sheets Google, like Google sheets or or Excel sheets, um, maybe not entirely because you still need a human a lot of those elements, but a lot of the things that you are technically very good at, like using the very complicated tools and complicated like functions and and techniques mm-hmm. out of those frameworks can be distilled now into a prompt by somebody says, hey, can you take mm-hmm. my Excel data or take my like CSV data or my emails or whatever data from wherever and turn it into a financial report for this month's quarter. With highlighting and like you know tables and filters and all that stuff built in, cool. Mm -hmm. Done in five seconds, no problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that I think that this is going to be challenges with 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 this, and I think there'll be increasingly more challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think the question I have more than anything else is, what do we think is the best case scenario? Hypothetically, Ben, I want you to try to empathize with somebody who's upset about this world where models are taking more of the skilled labor that we rely on. Um, mm. And I asked them, what would you want to happen? What do you think they would want to have happen? What do you think their instinctual response will be? For the skilled labor, specifically? Yeah. I, how would you solve the problem? I, I asked them, how are you mm. going to solve the problem? What, what do you think needs to happen to protect people or to, or to give you the best mm. possible outcome in this world that we're moving towards? hmm I mean,
0: I think it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think, I mean, I I think the base instinct, um, I think of a lot of different people is oftentimes it's like, it's like the coal workers, right? It's like, Hey, like, let's try and keep this thing going. Mm. Right. It's like, let's figure out like the way to like entrench ourselves and like build political allies and like, let's keep this going. Let's add subsidies from the government and like drive on this thing. And I think that's sort of like the fear-driven mentality end of this. It's it's normal. Uh, I think uh, I think everyone feels like that a bit. All like often. Um, I think at the other end, though, it's interesting because like so like if you take the example of like the the freelancers um, that are having their jobs like sort of replaced, um, there's other places where we need deeper understanding of what content is on a page mm-hmm. and like what we're trying to deliver to the page.
1: This is something uh, that to quite go off real yeah. quick. Mm-hmm. The advi- some of the advice that they give, like the moderators of that sub, they say mm-hmm. that job that you have is no longer mm-hmm. relevant. Specialize. Mm-hmm. Find something that's very, very, very specific and powerful where mm-hmm. the language model cannot do as well as a human can. Mm-hmm. Getting niche. <laughs> specific information, technical information, mm-hmm. specialized information about a field. Um, mm-hmm. You, If you want to succeed as a freelance writer now, you have to move in that direction. So, yeah, mm-hmm. to your point, I think this is the advice that people are giving right now.
0: Yeah, and I think because the thing that you have as somebody who is in a profession is you have expertise, right? Um, whether that you're like a truck driver and you want to start training models on like how to better drive trucks and how to get across like different systems... Uh, you can help like sort of moderate like how trucks drive right tesla hires truck drivers to be able to better understand how trucks should respond to different situations and like oversee trucks that are on the road and like make sure they're not doing anything bad right so there's there's sort of like outlets like that um if you were like a freelance writer uh there's of course a lot of content like cms systems or uh even like efforts to improve systems like so if you take the idea of like a uh, AB testing, right, we've got a website, it works, but I want to be able to like sell more product or I want to be able to do something more with it, make it, make sure it resonates better with people. There, there is like a very great space there to think about, okay, how do we improve content? Right. And then like, can you start thinking about, okay, what are ways that people better understand how these sites should work are there better ways to communicate that stuff right there and there are sort of like ways to specialize in that um but it is sort of like uh somebody referenced um i'm trying to remember who it was but there, there's this idea of like a talent stack there's this idea of like um it's not about any one skill that you have but it's about how all the skills and strengths that you have stack up make you somewhat more unique in terms of like being able to um, offer value generally. Right. Um, so there, I think, I think the thing that may be interesting and, uh, you know, rather than thinking about sort of like retraining, it's sort of like, uh, it's enhancing the skills that you've got, right. It's not about taking those people that had this one job and transitioning it completely to a different job. It's about sort of like, how do we take that? And then we transition it to something that's sort of close. Right. Um, and that's easier or harder depending on what it is. If you're a knowledge worker, if you're like a writer, there's, it's easier. It just is (laughs) like, you're already somebody who's at a computer probably at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of jobs that are like at a computer. Uh, if you are somebody who isn't at a computer though, that's different. Right. But, um, I don't know. There's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of space to change there. Uh, some for the better. Uh, I think, like, if you look at like food service right now, food service, at least in America, is thought of as like a dead end job, right? Uh, in general, like, people aren't excited to go into it, right? You have to deal with customers. Customers can be kind of challenging to deal with. Um, there needs to be a, you know, a revival of that generally, because everyone loves going to restaurants. Though, <laughs> you know, there isn't there isn't that a balance on the other side of the equation. It's just generally it's a bad experience to work for these companies that are running a restaurant, right? So how do we rethink that job? How do we rethink how that should be done, right? How rethink do we jobs
1: that are that are things that machines and AI cannot handle. Make them more mm-hmm. valuable, make them more fulfilling as well to fill that, that mm-hmm. gap that may be um, brewing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But let me let me ask you a question. Um, so I don't know if you heard Sam Haltman He gets asked this question a lot. Um and he, he has his own strong opinions on on the future of work and, and humanity. And he did not talk about anything that's soon, like not like the next year or two or five even necessarily. But he doesn't think this is super far off. And this is also true for Jeffrey Hinton, that we might see um a significant portion of jobs be displaced quickly. Um and that mm-hmm. might would be painful for society. And he has his own thoughts. Um Sam often thinks about like WorldCoin, something he invests in, um for for like distributed um, universal basic income mm-hmm. and I know that Jeffrey Hinton is just more thinking like we need to talk about it he doesn't, have, he doesn't have a solution in mind he's like we should talk mm-hmm. about the job thing because I think job thing is a real thing that's going to happen mm-hmm. um, so let's let's move past that the job thing real quick basically is this idea that um, there won't be any jobs or not enough jobs in the future and we might see mass unemployment now uh, that's an interesting question and you can have a whole podcast about that idea uh, and do about that but More specifically, one thing I've been kind of thinking about myself in my head is, do you think there is inherent value, something integrally important about somebody working every day? Um, Do you think Mm -hmm. something would be lost if, let's say everything, let's say somebody finds a solution to the problem that's Mm -hmm. like pine in the sky idyllic. They can Mm -hmm. give people money. They find it, Mm -hmm. they figure out how to do it, and everyone has their own income. They don't have to worry about Mm -hmm. jobs. They can do whatever they want all day. They can relax. Some people worry that there's something inherently wrong about this. This is even true to mm-hmm. like a, an older religious idea, like the idle, <laughs> um, an idle hand, um, uh, the, like is what's the term? It's like the devil, oh. devil's glove bit on an idol hand or something. Things like that, um, right? Somebody who's not working, somebody who's not doing anything, will sin. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, <laughs> you, maybe that's not nothing that dramatic, but do you do you yeah. see truth in that idea?
0: Yeah, I mean. I remember then Sam Altman was talking with like Lex Friedman on his podcast and they kind of talked about this a little bit and how people are sort of confused on whether or not they want jobs. Like France is like rioting because like the, the retirement age is going up. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, people are like, Oh my God, like we're not going to have any jobs, (laughs) you know? So it's sort of like, wait, what do we want? Um, I think the, the challenge is really, it has a lot more to do with the evolution of community. Um, I read Sapiens, that's a book that I really enjoyed reading. I think it's a a great book for thinking about different perspectives, whether or not you believe in what it proposes. Hmm. Um, One thing that has happened is in terms of community, what our society in kind of North America has become is that um, we have basically said that the government provides, uh, that the state provides a lot of things. So it's like, if you get sick and old, You can go to a hospital. You can go to like an old folks home. Uh, There's some, you know, if you get sick, there's a doctor here. Uh, If you need to be educated there, we have schools. You know, there's all these sort of things that are external and like the state provides. Right. And that has kind of gone against the previous things, which were very community based. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, you kind of had to stay with your family. Otherwise you're dead. (laughs) You know, Uh, like you go out there and there's no community for you. Like you're not going to get
1: help. Yeah, there's food? nobody. Yeah, yeah. Like your your dad hunted, your mom yes. gathered, um, mm-hmm. and they have a farm out back. You yeah. want to go out there and get your own food? There's no supermarkets. There's no there's no <laughs> game that'll fall into your hands. Um, right. You, you had to like find the money too to even be able to mm-hmm. afford anything, and it'd be much more mm-hmm. sparse. And and food mm-hmm. itself was a bigger proportion of people's income. Like I think it used to be like mm-hmm. fifty to seventy percent of your income was tied towards food when mm-hmm. like two three hundred years ago.
0: Right. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we transition to this culture of that the state provides, uh, and the state also provides purpose, right? Your purpose of your life is working <laughs> in sort of the North American culture, right? Your, your purpose is that, I mean, church also provides a purpose, but it's not state like the division of church and state is different, right? Um, certain folks of course find that the church offers potentially better education or better, uh, healthcare options or better, you know, like, like community feeling. And so there's sort of this push toward like a theocrity, theocratic type government. Um, but when you think about like whether or not we need jobs, it's like, really, it's like whether or not we need community to some degree. Uh, and I think in every major city, like I live in a massive condo building. Um, I don't know most of the people on my floor. I know one guy just because he goes to the gym that I go to. So I'm like, oh yeah, I know that guy. Every once in a while we have the, awkward elevator ride together but um you know like we don't know most of the people who are in our buildings and there's no common spaces there's no easy space for everyone to sort of mingle or 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 learn about each other uh it's not like the kind of yard that you may have used to have like uh in in more rural areas or you know when you went to the mailbox there were five other mailboxes there and you kind of run into somebody and Mm -hmm. and they'd be your neighbor you know and it it's different, right?
1: We, we, you're um, right. I think we've increasingly made our world one in which we can interact with people less and less. Like even mm-hmm. going shopping now, we go on Amazon. Um, yeah. Yeah, we order so much of our, 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 our needs and mm-hmm. we work remotely increasingly so. Um, mm-hmm. The community that we, we have to have, even just by nature of the world we've lived in, is mm-hmm. now increasingly small. Mm-hmm. Um, so suddenly we get cut off from... You know, work and even if everything went perfectly, um, would we be isolated living alone mm-hmm. in our homes, ordering mm-hmm. food, typing mm-hmm. on a computers? I'm sure plenty of people would be doing that actually. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now,
0: you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is like the job market's crazy, right? So you've got all these people that are now applying for jobs and you have to compete with your sort of digital representation of yourself over any other aspect, Right. Uh, which, which is terrible. (laughs) I gotta say as somebody who's like a very personable person or like charismatic person, I really enjoy talking to somebody face to face. Mm -hmm. And I kind of can't imagine like even accepting a job without maybe meeting them Mm -hmm. or like knowing who I'm working with or like being able to see the office. And like so many people have maybe had three jobs at this point Never seeing an office, never meeting these people face to face, right? And I'm like, whoa, that's crazy, (laughs) you know?
1: (laughs) Um, Some of the most romantic memories I have in my entire life are of mm -hmm. the company we work at right now when I was really young. um, Like startup vibes, going on the rooftop, having a drink at Friday night after after we worked all week really hard, um, Mm -hmm. enjoying the summer air, going out dancing with my coworkers, laughing. Running like, you know, not for profits, we're like running like, you know, extracurricular activities together, just kind of mm-hmm. getting into this really strong community vibe. I forget all the work I did. I remember that stuff though.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think that's something that if we get into something like universal basic income or we get into something else and robots do take half of our jobs, you know, which is great, you know, but. Then it's sort of like, well, we just need something else,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I would, I, like, type it up to speaking. Let's say mm-hmm. we hit our utopian society. I, I mean, like, I think, I think that the thing people talk about a lot is like the dystopian stuff and the challenges mm-hmm. there. And I think that's fair and legitimate. Mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. there's challenges even with the utop- utopian world that we can envision. Even the mm-hmm. best case scenario, we never have to work again. They have all the jobs are taken from us. We can just relax and rest on the laurels. What mm-hmm. are you going to do with that time? How are you going to enrich your life? Are you going to enjoy your life? Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to take up a hobby? Um, are you going to find ways to connect the community more? Um, mm-hmm. Are you going to stay at home with video games all day? I think this is a challenge mm-hmm. as well, too. I think that increasingly, um, as this technology gets better, I can imagine mm-hmm. the world sincerely. My own mm-hmm. personal challenge, I'll describe to you right now. Mm-hmm. I, like, I like very big kinds of games. I have games that I, in my mind that I love. And every once in a while, I won't find any more that exist. I play them all. For example, mm-hmm. Diablo. I love Diablo. Mm-hmm. Diablo Four mm-hmm. comes out, in like, oh man, it's out like a week. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Eventually, I'll play my heart out, and I'll I play like hundreds of hours with Diablo, uh, Skyrim too, lots of hours. Mm-hmm. Imagine you've played Skyrim, this game that everyone played, huge game, uh, mm-hmm. and it always added new content for you, exactly the mm-hmm. other content you liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could see what you liked, and it would just generate for you automatically. Oh, it's mm-hmm. a new quest, sir. The spare mm-hmm. maiden in this tower is being assaulted by a dragon. It's like, all right, I'll go check it out. And it gives mm-hmm. you some like, wars and feedback loop, some dopamine hit, like the social yeah, media yeah. situation. But yeah. one in which isn't social inherently, but one that is mm-hmm. entirely personal. This dopamine mm-hmm. hit that just gives you validation, it gives you the mm-hmm. feeling of enjoyment, it gives you a personal um, experience that you crave and want. Mm-hmm. Never ending. We already feel that a bit with like, you know, media, with like, um, Going on to Netflix and all the other now providers we have, and saying, Mm -hmm. "What do I feel like?" Literally, I can watch a dozen like Academy-winning, award-winning shows whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Pardon me, that I haven't seen. There's so much more content out there that's high quality than I'll ever see, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. increasingly so. As much as we Mm -hmm. complain about the the bad stuff, there's probably more bad quality content. um, There's there's just an increase in overall content. There's tons Mm -hmm. of shows that are fantastic. I'm not gonna Mm -hmm. lie. Um, succession. I've heard good things about mm-hmm. it. Heard it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'll never watch it. I don't have time for right. it. <laughs> like nothing so yeah. like that. I will not watch. Yeah, it. yeah, um, absolutely. The Wire. I'll not watch. And I think, yeah. I think. I think we're going to be inundated with these experiences that are increasingly <clears throat> going to drag our attention. And I think <clears throat> it's going to challenge even this world you're describing, where we find a way <clears throat> to socially connect with other people. And I think that <clears throat> will be potentially the weird utopian dystopian future if we're not careful, <clears throat> where <clears> throat> throat> we create our own internal fantasies, our own internal worlds that mm-hmm. we can, our, our our own personal bubbles. We already have our social media bubbles, um mm-hmm. that are like me and my group of like 20 friends or 50 friends or 100 mm-hmm. friends who all have the same thing. What mm-hmm. if it's just me and myself and 100 digital beings who mm-hmm. validate me, tell me I'm handsome and great and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. see like AI girlfriends coming out um, and mm-hmm. a, a game that is also all that I want and, and music is also all that I want to hear and like. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to do anything or talk to anybody ever again to get a constant Mm -hmm. of mean drip feed. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. And and it begs, I guess from that end, it sort of begs the question is like, are we okay with, you know, morally sort of like embracing hedonism to some degree? Yeah. (laughs) And just being like, okay with a society where people maybe don't contribute back. Right. Where people just consume and just take and like, and enjoy. Right. And is that utopia, right? Is utopia the ability for us to be able to do that? Or is that, you know, uh, is, is that, is that negating this kind of like positive future? Um, I remember reading, uh, the fall by Neil Stevenson, uh, which is a, uh, uh, it's an okay book, but, uh, it talks about, uh, basically, um, when people die, their brains are sort of uploaded into this like, uh, environment where they can sort of interact with other people. It's sort of the afterlife to some
1: degree. It's like um, the episode of um, Black Mirror, they have that theme. A idea. bit, yeah. yeah,
0: except for except for nothing's pre-constructed hmm. because all these brains sort of like, there's no way of understanding like how a brain understands the world, especially when it's like a disembodied brain. Like there's no physical aspects to the world. Um, and so the the these brains start sort of like reconstructing sort of what they know instinctively to some degree. Um, and there's a group of the brains that sort of get together of these, of these people who have now died and their brains have been uploaded who get together and they create this hive of sort of like hed- hedonism to some degree where the, it, it, kind of, it kind of lives and breathes by these like deep neural connections between all these different people and beings. And they all kind of feel as a group. And in the in the sort of book, there's like a, a main character that's like the future shouldn't be like this and they destroy it. you know and force them all to like sort of live like serfs in a medieval world (laughs) and you know it's it but it 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 is sort of that it's like there is this draw toward what if there were no worries what if we could embrace everything what if we could have this sense of that you know everything's always good all the time um even
1: even even the best scenario is rife with challenges you know i Mm -hmm. think that there's plenty of challenging scenarios that are very yeah. likely to happen in the near future where people mm-hmm. who are freelance writers or who are mm-hmm. conceptual artists, um, mm-hmm. or people who are, um, Excel experts and Photoshop experts or whomever mm-hmm. are going to be challenged in some ways. Developers mm-hmm. might be challenged, you know, um, mm-hmm. tons of these challenges that are going to be very pertinent to our lives. Um, mm-hmm. and there's going to be proponents who are like, let's fight for a world where no one has to work. And those who say, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Everybody <laughs> should work all the time or else, um, <laughs> and for the middle yeah. as well. Um, yeah. but then. It's like, well, well, let's think of the best-case scenario. What, is, mm-hmm. what, is, what does that mean for us? Mm-hmm. Let's fight for the best-case scenario. Mm-hmm. Let's fight for our own individual heavens. Um, mm-hmm. this, is the, this is the reason why I asked that question, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been asking that question to people more lately. Uh, mm-hmm. I've asked, asked you a couple times, Ben. If yeah. you could picture your own personal heaven. what would it look like? Not because I think we're going to get it. Not because I think mm-hmm. there is a heaven. Nothing, nothing to do with that. I mean, that's all mm-hmm. whatever. The relevance is that I think we don't ever actually think about the best-case scenario. Uh, I think we think about chasing towards uh, a disembodied heaven. Um, mm-hmm. And we don't even know what we do when we get it. Um, right. I ask this question, and almost everybody I ask that question to has absolutely no idea how to answer the question at first. Yeah, No, absolutely. They're like, mm-hmm. what would somebody have be? I have no idea. And <laughs> then I ask them again, and I, they usually come back to me. I honestly come back mm-hmm. to me after a couple of weeks or whatever. Like, Della, I have an answer. I know mm-hmm. now. I know. <laughs> um, so I think it's worth it. It's worth us thinking about that. It's worth us mm-hmm. thinking about not necessarily our heavens, mm-hmm. but thinking about our best case scenarios. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we can, we can fear a lot of things. We have a lot of anxiety about what things can happen, but our jobs, yeah. necessarily being impacted. But, mm-hmm. um, what do we think we would want to happen? What do you think we would strive towards? What would we like to strive mm-hmm. towards and how mm-hmm. can we get there? Um, yeah. questions that we don't ask ourselves enough. I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I think the thing that I, I feel right now most strongly when it comes to that is I think there needs to be a way to be successful taking a breath, taking a break and kind of recovering Um, or even just like living a slower pace of life. I think there needs to be a way to be successful doing that. And at the same time, or maybe even in the same world, there also needs to be a way that if you want to hustle, if you want to push yourself as hard as you can, Mm -hmm. you can be successful
1: that way. Right. So people that's, that's light. That's meaning to them. Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. you, should, you, should, you should tell them, go live on a farm that we mm-hmm. make built for you and you have all your needs and care of, they would be like, no. <laughs> I want to do that. I want to like, I want to fight. I want to challenge myself. I want to grow. I want to mm-hmm. work. Um, yeah. And
0: that's self-actualization that's- is, is one of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Yeah. So our ability to self-actualize is very important. So whatever world we, we see, we need to be able to give people that capability.
1: I'm gonna yeah. read the fall. I think I think that you've you've sold that idea to me a little bit. It's Interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, it's I read uh, a lot of sci-fi, and this is not an uncommon yeah. topic in sci-fi. And I think yeah. like, we're, we're kind of towards <laughs> the sci-fi world. We have we're talking about AI every day, so <laughs> yeah, I feel like absolutely. Maybe we need to revisit some sci-fi tropes and understand the questions being asked in them a bit more.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, um, I think we've we've definitely hit a lot of stuff here, but it sounds like there's one more, one yeah. more place you want to go.
1: Jeffrey hinted. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, Jeffrey Hinton is often referred to as the godfather of deep learning. Um, he's been in this industry for a long time. He's been in it since the 70s or 80s. Um, he's been in it through the AI winter. And we're in the 80s and 90s where we kind of realized that AI wouldn't give us what we wanted to as quickly as we did. We had a really strong idea in the 80s and 90s. Like, cool, we gonna have robots like the Jetsons. And mm-hmm. we're like, maybe, let's try. And we're like, oh, God, mm-hmm. no. Not anytime soon, not for (laughs) decades, no, no, we're not close. Um, And then all the money dried up for a bit. Um, and we're kind of in a, in a summer right now in a research, maybe even a spring, um, and he's, he was, he was a big part of that research actually in 2012, um, him and his students, um, created AlexNet and, Hmm. uh, that was this, like, that was a model for uh, a competition to, to classify images. You give it an image. And you have to get the AI to tell you what's in that image. In 2012, this was very hard and we're not very good at it. Now we're now this is like old hat. It's boring. They have to have new <laughs> competitions now. Um but that was that was one using deep learning, um, which is the based on the techniques that we have today, uh, where you have these layers of 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 uh, of networks that can be better at understanding things. Anyway, um they saw they solved that, they won that competition, and then mm. um Google gave them a lot of money and they hired out all well, those the staff. Um you know who was on that team, by the way? Something very interesting. Uh, Ilya, right? Yeah, Ilya Skaber. Ilya Siskaber, um It was in UFT. This is all in UFT, mm-hmm. um, University of Toronto. And um, mm-hmm. he was on that team, and he is now the chief engineer, um, uh, not the CTO, just a chief engineer of uh, mm-hmm. OpenAI. Um mm-hmm. you should hear him talk. He's a fascinating person. He has his own interviews with um, tons of people, including uh, NASA. What's his name? The guy who interviewed on the mentioned earlier. Oh, Lex uh, Friedman. Lex Friedman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he has his own Lex Friedman interviews. Um, and he's a very smart guy. He's very, very considerate of these things. He talked about the feature before. Um, anyway, tangent. Um, Jeffrey Hinton. He, he um, has been working for Google for a long time. He's been working out of UFT for a long time in the Vector um, Institute in UFT that was built um, by joint effort from Google and and UFT. Uh, to have AI and, and be part of the the, the university. Um, and he quit. He's in his late 70s. Um, and he quit not because he feels like he was being mistreated, but because what he says, like, I feel like Google is very good to me and very nice and all those wonderful things. But I want to be able to talk about how I feel openly, the views mm-hmm. I have, without dealing with the fact that i work at Google. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Can you summarize in your, in your mind, what he's saying?
0: Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really saying like, uh, when, when you're a part of an organization, uh, like we're still a part of an organization too. Um, what you say, if you talk about that organization is involved with, you know, and, and the other thing is sort of like, so, so like for both of us, it's not immediately apparent and we don't advertise and we aren't very well known. So we can kind of say whatever we want and it's exactly. kind of okay. Right. But when you're somebody like Jeffrey Hinton, everyone knows not only you, but also what organization you work for, yeah. right? And so anything you say is like, oh, this is what Google thinks. You're a mouthpiece whether or not you want to be. Exactly. Yeah. It's like being a CEO. Like mm-hmm. uh, Sometimes you have to like train as a CEO so that like, you don't say things that suddenly have this huge amount of weight. You know, like you're talking about something and you're like, oh, like, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball on this thing. Like, who worked on that? Stock, and then it's, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, like yeah like you like yeah stocks drop or like you know this person like gets fired at the company because you kind of made a joke and I'll, it was I'll a joke to you yeah. but like yeah. you know you're just like oh crap you know <laughs> so you know it's uh he he was in that sort of situation um i think the 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 coolest thing that he talked about was how um uh, at least i read the mit interview i don't know if you if that's one hmm. you read as well but uh uh the the um or technology review by mit yeah um the thing that uh he talked about was basically they went to try and understand sort of how biological learning happens they replicated that with ai um like machine learning capabilities and they didn't just create something similar they created something better is sort of his belief mm. and that that's what's scary here is that yeah it's a jump and that it can learn faster than you know <laughs>
1: than, you know, we can, right? Yeah, he, and he's not even saying that it's better right now in all ways than a human being, mm-hmm. but he's like the, mm-hmm. the core base tools that we are building mm-hmm. can scale and grow and still have quite a bit of a runway that he sees um, um, in terms of how it can grow. And, and he's mm-hmm. afraid for run He's not afraid, maybe not to use, but he's concerned, let's say, for a variety of reasons. Number yeah. one, he's concerned about jobs and the process of, of, of human labor. He's like, I don't think we have a good framework to handle the disruption, even if we don't necessarily lose jobs in terms of numbers, we will lose jobs in terms of like shifting from being a technical writer for, um, you know, SEO blog websites to something else. Um, Mm -hmm. And that disruption is going to be very hectic for a while and it will Mm -hmm. probably increase for a while. And he wants to make sure that we're all aware of that and talking about it and getting out ahead of Mm -hmm. it. He's also very kind of cautious about the fact that, you know, humans and how we think about our self-worth is going to be challenged. Um, mm-hmm. He's also challenged about like the more technical risk-specific issues. Um, and we've mentioned it before here and there, but there are people out there, Anthropic is a good company to point to, mm-hmm. who feel strongly about this and they want to build AI off the bat. That is, um, Anthropic recently had their constitutionally aware kind of models mm-hmm. where they have a deep sort of like um, Asimov's laws type system where, uh, if you don't know, is a sci-fi writer who wrote The Three Laws of Robotics, which are very famous and known in lots of sci-fi movies. I, Robot, for example, with Will Smith talks about it. Where, um, and also the name of his book, I, Robot. Um, uh, that you kind of try to create these rules for AI that says, first, do no harm, more or less. Um, and in, in, in action, don't harm others and don't harm yourself and all these and mm-hmm. things. And his whole story about those three laws actually are like, how it's never works because there's always a loophole that mm. if they get through, you know, we're in trouble. Um, with mm-hmm. to, to, to to regardless, though, there are people out there who are working anthropic with one of them, other groups out there who are very large and we're trying to create safety first conscious um models. Um, mm-hmm. and he struck you can strongly about that as well, too. Um, that we need to be doing that. He's like, we need to be government oversight, we need to be government um insight. There recently was a big congressional hearing um, with Sam Allman, um, some person from IBM, I forget her name, and Gary Marcus, who is an interesting character. Um, I can have a whole podcast about him. Um, he's, uh, he's Canadian too, actually. A lot of, a lot of Canadians in the space. Um, and he's a well-known critic. Critic? I don't know what to call him anymore because he criticized um, AI before for a long time. Language models as not being able to do all these things. Like, they can't do any of these things. Um they're they're not they're built in a way that's not that they can't do them. But now it's more like, okay, they're doing a lot of things and I don't like it. <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's get out ahead of it. Let's let's shut it down, let's slow it down, put some restrictions. I don't think he's I don't think he's really kind of um communicating his thoughts about that shift or, or what have you, but at the very least, mm-hmm. he's a well known critic of um of AI and, and the industry. And he mm-hmm. tries really hard to kind of um um insert himself in this this um, discussion, which is, you know, it's fine. let it, it, to say that that's valuable. Um, and I think that to some degree, it is happening what, what you know, Japanese wants. We are okay. hearing governments talking about this more and more now. Mm-hmm. We are seeing people, you know, um, discuss the ramifications mm-hmm. of your chat GPTs and, and jobs. Mm-hmm. More Did more you more.
0: see the EU thing where they're talking about banning, like, the open use of language models that aren't, like, basically regulated and in just the right ways that the the
1: EU agrees on. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, and people feel very conflicted about that and very challenged Mm. about that Mm. to some degree, I get it. You don't on a language model that's like able to go out there and spew hateful content and be duplicated. Mm. So there could be millions of bots out there on your Reddit, on your Twitter, on your Instagram, generating content. Imagine, Mm. imagine there's a million bots out there that can be generating, you know, individually unique looking, attractive women. Um, who say, you know, um, Russia's the best or whomever, right? Um, that could have potentially an impact on society at large. Um, and this is like, you know, that's kind of the help in the room. That's what they're afraid of. They're afraid of, you know, other state actors creating systems that can do this sort of thing um, or individuals in, in, in some cases. Um, but at the same time, the idea of having a state be like, this is what's okay <laughs> for it to talk about, and this is not okay like <laughs> for it to talk about. Is mm-hmm. uh its own challenge, and I think that will fly more in the UK and and, and EU in general, uh, mm-hmm. and less so in places like the US, um, mm-hmm. and in somewhere in the middle, I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. And I can get I get why people want that, but I also mm-hmm. don't think it's going to be possible for a lot of reasons mm-hmm. because open source. <laughs> Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because it's also
0: the EU, um, reading like this to article on this. Uh, it's, it's basically also the EU telling the U S that it needs to police companies within the U S with these massive fines, sort of breaking sovereignty to some Mm -hmm. degree on like the U S ability to like control its own borders, globalization and all these other things have already kind of like infringed on that. But, uh, it's an interesting stepping stone, and we already kind of saw it with. Uh, uh, if you think about cookies and GDPR compliance and stuff like that, that that has been kind of like fully adopted across the board um, when it comes to web development.
1: And that's very uh, controversial too, because I think, mm-hmm. ironically, I think now nobody cares about cookies at all. I <laughs> Yeah, I've <laughs> obviously single time, and like <laughs> I don't care about this. I don't want to see this every single time I go to a website. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
0: Regardless, so, Yeah, but uh, but yeah, um, I think I think that gives us a pretty good. A pretty good gambit of some of the ethical places. I think there's no way we could possibly cover all uh, the no. ethical space, but um, these are the things I think that were were top of mind.
1: yeah, here's my thought, my final thought on this I think that um I think that a lot of people are starting to now grapple with these questions um, for the first time. you know, uh, I grew up reading sci-fi all the time, and so I, I love soundtracks. All the questions about, like, uh, I think about all the episodes of, like, TNG. The Next Generation is a, is a series of subjects that has, like, um, um, Patrick Stewart as the captain. Um, they had a robot called Data on there. And Data was an uh, interesting character where he kind of always tried to talk about this idea. of uh, He was a kind of reflection of this um, discussion that we're having right now about uh, our AI models um, able to represent humanity in the right ways. Mm-hmm. Can they do certain things that are human? And if it could, what would that mean for us as, as people? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, grappling with that has always been a part of like the, the nature of sci-fi. So I, I've, been, I've been in this space to some degree for a long time, but I think not everybody <laughs> likes sci-fi. Um, it's not a thing for everybody. I'm kind of fair. Um, but I think what's happening now is sci-fi is becoming just sci. Um, and uh, people, it's impacting their lives. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a writer, if you're an artist, if you're... Um accountant if you're who knows what increasingly your life is gonna be impacted by this stuff, and mm-hmm. so that's ethical discussions are gonna be more and more relevant and I appreciate why it's coming up, and I don't have the answers um, mm-hmm. all i all I want to do though is get people's juices flowing so to speak mm-hmm. um so uh yeah absolutely that's right.
0: and and maybe a little bit less sci fi focused on zombie apocalypse and like end of the world, and maybe some ideas of like what could we do going forward?
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even, yeah. even in like, like the, the boring questions are probably the most relevant to us. Mm-hmm. Not the utopia, not the dystopia, but somewhere in the middle where it's mm-hmm. like, well, what are we going to do about um, the nature of art in mm-hmm. a world in which people's jobs are to create pictures for you? Mm-hmm. Well, relevant, interesting stuff to, to be had in, in that regard and to talk about that. And I think that we will be contesting with this and uh, fighting it, grappling it for years to come. So awesome. we'll talk about it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Cool. Awesome. Uh, definitely a little longer than normal, but hey, we'll a lot of good stuff to talk about. It was so a great talk. Thanks.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Thanks so much for uh, for tuning in, everybody. And uh, we'll be back again, hopefully shortly. Probably Peace. Awesome. See you. <laughs>